Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we continue our reflections into Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. We find ourselves this evening in chapter 14. I will wrap up chapter 13, but predominantly we will be in chapter 14. Before we engage our principal subject matter for this evening, I did just want to continue to thank all of you podcast listeners out there. Those of you who are tuning in in the countries of Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Argentina, Chile, Paraguay, Uruguay, uh, France, Portugal, Spain, Italy, Croatia, Poland. I see Poland there as well. And let me say this as I welcome you. I really want to also encourage you to continue to send me your questions. The questions kind of come through over time. But I especially love to hear from those who are listening outside of the country. There's something just enriching for me to receive your questions and hopefully for the radio program as I bring your questions uh, on air. Uh, It really is enriching for me and the radio program. I also see uh, India, China, South Africa, uh, Cameroon, Kenya, Nigeria, The fact that you are taking time out of your busy schedules does mean a lot to me. Um, And when I look at this international grid, I am reminded of that great psalm, Psalm 87, all ye nations praise God. Brothers and sisters, we are a universal church, and we can come together by way of the radio and these podcasts to contemplate Christ's universal truths, huh? And what a blessing it is to just have the time to reflect into the wisdom of God as it comes to us in and through divine revelation. Again, before we get into chapter 14, I wanted to offer up a few more sound bites to chapter 13 and do so with the aid of Benedict XVI. Yesterday with Debbie, I was drawing from his encyclical Charity and Truth. Well, To get us started this evening, I wanted to draw from his encyclical Deus Caritas Est. God is love. Now, listen to Benedict's words here. In God and with God, I love even the person whom I do not like or even know. Did you hear that? Listen to that again. In God and with God, I love even the person whom I do not like or even know. This I can offer them not only through the organizations intended for such purposes, accepting it perhaps as a political necessity. Seen with the eyes of Christ, I can give to others much more than their outward necessities. I can give them the look of love which they crave. I can give them the look of love which they crave. Brothers and sisters, could it be so simple? Could the genius of all divine revelation and all Christianity be so simple as to look upon another with the look of love, the look which they crave? 
it is. It's that simple. <laughs> and yet, sometimes, if not oftentimes, that difficult because we are so often wrapped up in our own drama. Let us live not in our ego drama, but God's theodrama. Let us not live in the drama that we so desire to write, direct, produce, and above all, star in. But no, God's drama, the theodrama that God directs, God writes, God produces, and above all, God stars in. You see the distinction there? You are not the center, God is. And if we live in God, as Benedict XVI challenges us to, that we might look upon one another in love, the love we all crave, then we will be satisfied. It is just that simple. That's the genius. It's just that simple. And again, the paradox is, yes, it's also that hard. But at the very least, we have the objective before us, do we not? Now, something else here. The Pope comments on 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 6, which we commented on yesterday. And I failed to mention his words, and I did want to bring them into play this evening. This is what he has to say. And again, this is from Deus Caritas S, paragraph 18. All people feel the interior impulse to love authentically. Love and truth never abandon them completely because these are the vocation planted by God in the heart and mind of every human person. Okay, so what is Benedict saying there? We are created in the image and likeness of God. Every fabric, every fabric of who we are is actually in the image of God. He goes on, the search for love and truth is purified and liberated by Jesus Christ from the impoverishment that our humanity brings to it. I love that phrase. And he reveals to us in all its fullness the initiative of love and the plan for true life that God has prepared for us. In Christ, charity and truth becomes the face of his person. Did you hear that? In Christ, charity and truth becomes the face of his person. A vocation for us to love our brothers and sisters in the truth of his plan. Indeed, he himself is the truth. And what did we say yesterday? <laughs> As John 14, 6 reminds us, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And when we anchor these three realities in love, the incarnation of love as Jesus Christ reveals it, we are well on our way. Okay, so very important words from Benedict XVI um, there in Deus Caritas Est. All right, let us turn now to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, and we will go ahead and read verses 1 to 12 that really emphasize the gift of prophecy, and specifically over and above the gift of tongues. This is chapter 14, verses 1 to 12. Make love your aim and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, he who prophesies speaks to men for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation 
He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. He who prophesies is greater than he who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how shall I benefit you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments, such as the flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if you in a tongue utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Strive to excel in building up the church. Okay, so what's going on here? Well, I was spending some more time with these verses, praying with them, and going through some commentaries. And I thought, once again, Montague had some fresh things to say. There's ripe things to say for us to reflect with. He makes the note here that Paul's advice to pursue love does more than connect this chapter with the preceding chapter. No, it indicates that agape is not something that develops automatically. One must work at it or even better, in the Greek, pursue it. What is that overarching proverb, that overarching principle, what you feed grows? You know, I am often asked the question, Joe, if you receive a gift, can you lose it? Well, if you don't exercise your muscles, what is going to happen? Your muscle will atrophy. If you don't exercise the gift that God has given to you, that gift will atrophy. It will no longer flex its power, if you will. Okay, so we are called to pursue it. Now, it's interesting here, when you get into the Greek, the word pursue actually suggests a foot race, huh? where the runner strains every muscle to attain the goal. The image Paul uses of himself pursuing the goal of his heavenly calling in his letter to the Philippians. If you were to go to chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, we read of Paul pursuing, like he is in a foot race, this heavenly calling. We also read in, what, chapter 9, verses 24 to 26, this call to run so as to win. We can only win our heavenly calling if we, what, pursue it, like we are actually in a foot race. I use the image of muscle because Paul uses the image of muscle. And so we are to contract our muscles. We are to work out our muscles so as to flex. And our flexing in the spiritual life is prayer, yes, but also what have we been talking about over the past few days? Love itself. Love is a verb. Love is an action. Paul wants to emphasize that. Now, what else here? Well, Paul's high evaluation of love over the charisms does not mean that the charisms are useless, right? 
On the contrary, he just wishes to anchor the charisms in love. He makes a point to highlight that they are the hands that charity uses to build up the church. This is why he immediately adds in this opening verse to strive eagerly for the spiritual gifts. To strive eagerly for the spiritual gifts. What do you think about when you hear the word eager? Huh? Something that you ache for, something that you long for, something that you desire. Are you eagerly desiring, longing, aching for the spiritual gifts? The pneumatikas, huh? In the Greek. And of course, since they are gifts freely given, that would mean what? But praying for them. And, and part of the praying for them is to be open in receiving them. The exhortation, I think, to strive eagerly for one reason or another has fallen on deaf ears today. And brothers and sisters, might I encourage all of you listeners out there, if you look upon the charismatic gifts as something not for you, well, what did Paul just say? These are for everyone, and do not be intimidated by them. Do not fear them as something that you can't control. That's the whole idea. God is in control. Be an instrument of grace. Be a vessel of grace. Allow God to use you to build up the church. Now, what about this business of prophesying in Christ. What does the word prophecy mean? Well, it is a word that literally translates as God's mouthpiece or big mouth. In point of fact, the phrase don't be a big mouth actually has its origin in this call we have, this ancient call we have to prophecy, because the message of the prophets was not always welcomed, right? (laughs) Repent, believe the good news is at hand. The call to repentance is often rejected. And so the prophet was an annoyance. And so you have this phrase being coined, don't be a big mouth. In other words, don't be an annoyance. Don't be a prophet. I don't want to hear God's message. I want to do whatever it is that I want to do. I don't want someone else to tell me what I need to do. To the least of which is God. So don't be a big mouth. Well, We're called to be a big mouth, especially when we are God's mouthpiece. Now, Matthew refers to prophets in his community several times, and they frequently appear also in Acts. In its more general sense, in its more broader sense, when you hear the word prophecy, we might think of speech inspired by the Holy Spirit. And although other forms of speech may also be inspired by the Spirit, prophecy seems to really differ from the word of wisdom and the word of knowledge that we have already talked about in that it is primarily exhortative. That is, what did St. Paul say? For building up, encouragement, and solace. So it is different from teaching in that it is done under the spontaneous inspiration of the Spirit. While in so many cases, of course, teaching presumes some kind of orderly preparation. Not to say, especially in our catechesis, that we are not to be open to how the Holy Spirit wants to inspire our teaching or inspire our catechesis. I think our our teaching and catechesis fails when we're so locked into what we have already prepared. 
But in the context of prophecy, I, I think you get what we're saying here. Now, in the Old Testament, to be a prophet was the calling of who? But really, a few, right? But in the first Pentecost, what happens? What does Peter say? Peter says the Holy Spirit has now been poured out on one person, two people, a clan. No, all people, right? All people on all flesh, so that sons and daughters, young and old, servants and handmaids would, what do we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 to 18? Prophecy. That being said, although occasionally prophecy refers to prediction, it can also refer to a spontaneous composition of a hymn, as was the case with, uh, say, the prophet Zechariah at the birth of John the Baptist. We can also include the book of Revelation as an example of prophecy, right? But prophecy in the form of a vision. So prophecy has many different shapes and forms. Now, as it can be a passing gift for a very specific time to a very specific place, it can also be, and certainly this is more of what Paul is talking about here, something that is given to a particular person who is gifted with this gift in a more permanent way. Now, verse 2 affirms prophecy as superior to tongues, but it also tells us something more about the latter gift, right? Tongues is a prayer language of the individual to God. In saying that the tongue speaker utters the mysteries in spirit, certainly Paul is speaking to the object of prayer that goes beyond rational speech. Now, before we go any further, I want to read St. Augustine on tongues here and just listen to the words of St. Augustine here, because I do think they offer us a pretty darn good, clear teaching on the gift of tongues. Words cannot express the things that are sung by the heart. Take the case of people singing while harvesting in the fields or in the vineyards or when any other strenuous work is in progress. Although they begin by giving expression to their happiness in sung words, yet shortly there is a change. As if so happy the words can no longer express what they feel. They discard the restricting syllables. They burst into a simple sound of joy, of jubilation. Such a cry of joy is a sound signifying that the heart is bringing to birth what it cannot utter in words. Now what is more worthy of such a cry of jubilation than God himself, whom all words fail to describe? If words will not serve, and yet you must not remain silent, what else can you do but cry out for joy, soaring into an immensity of gladness in unrestricted by syllabic bonds? I love that. I absolutely love that. What does that highlight? But Romans chapter 8, verses 23, 24, 25 and following, that in Paul's teaching, in Paul's catechesis on prayer, he reminds us, we do not know how to pray, but it is the Spirit praying in and through us that we learn how to pray. And in so many ways, the best prayer is what? But what St. Augustine is here talking about, if it is not the groaning and the sign that St. Paul talks about. You see, my friends, so often we want to 
dress up our prayer in all of these beautiful words. And certainly there's something to be said about an inspired prayer that leads to a very clear articulation of what it is in fact you are praying. But there's something so much more beautiful and poetic than the Spirit praying through you in such a way that you are, how did St. Augustine say it, that you are no longer uh, restricted by syllabic bonds. Beautiful stuff. What about this phrase, utters mysteries in spirit? Well, quite simply, my friends, when we do pray in tongues, we can only do so in the spirit, right? I was just talking about how the book of Revelation was inspired prophecy in so many ways. Well, St. John was caught up in the spirit. He in turn was made to contemplate what he was seeing so as to write it down. He wasn't just looking at the vision. He was looking into it, through it. And however much the Holy Spirit allowed him to see beyond it, right? Seeing its third and fourth dimension, as we've spoken to contemplation and the mystical before. St. John was in some cases, literally being made to see the river beyond the river, the mountain beyond the mountain. He was in the Spirit, uttering mysteries, uttering mysteries. All right, now prophecy, which is addressed to human beings, has three purposes, and these three purposes is what, in fact, St. Paul highlights. Building up, encouragement, and solace. Okay, building up encouragement and solace. And so you can teach on this systematically. Building up is a favorite expression of St. Paul. And point of fact, in this chapter alone, the phrase appears six times. It is the figurative meaning of a word that means literally construction of a building. Earlier in the letter, Paul had told the Corinthians that they are God's building, right? We really went there. We really highlighted that. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. Listen to what St. Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he gave some as apostles, others as prophets, others as evangelists, others as pastors and teachers, to equip the holy ones for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the extent of the full stature of Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, I love that phrase, by every supporting ligament, with the proper functioning of each part, brings about the body's growth and builds itself up in, guess what? Love. Love. Ephesians chapter 4, 7 to 16, if it's not 1 Corinthians chapter 12, really is the Magna Carta for building up the church. First of all, we have the grace that Paul is speaking of in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 7, the grace of the charisms, which Christ measures out to each one, what? According to his purpose. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, we see certain persons who have been established in offices. But remarkably, the goal of these official ministers is to engage and what? Building ministry 
latent by divine gift in every Christian. And brothers and sisters, this is no small point. Everyone has a particular grace to build up the body of Christ. Everyone has a particular role. And it's about time, if you haven't done so already, to ask the question, what is my role? If you didn't do it last week, do it today. Go before the Blessed Sacrament. Go before God and ask God, what is my role? Who are you calling me to be? How am I to fulfill my office? You see, the reason why St. Paul emphasized what love is not, because so many of the Corinthians were focused on what everyone else was doing and how they wanted to be what everyone else was, as opposed to who God was calling them to be. Are we concerned about what everyone else is doing? Or are we concerned about who God is calling me to become? Everything else will fall into place. This ligament, that ligament. This tendon, that tendon. All of it will fall into place if we become who we are, if we become the best version of who God is calling us to be. All right, what about this call we have to encourage one another? Well, at the very least, it suggests an interior strengthening and refreshment. There's something about a simple encouragement. Hey, you can do this. You can do that. That is refreshing to hear. Now, solace is another uh, closely related word to what? But comfort. There's something about comfort. There's something about being a solace for someone being a comfort for someone. The word comfort comes from the Latin word that means to strengthen. Solace is a word that means to strengthen. So to prophecy is to encourage them and bring solace to them, but in doing so, strengthen them, right? In so many ways, this fulfills uh, the great spiritual gift of fortitude, which is also a cardinal virtue, right? To strengthen fortitude, and we can only do so if we are drawing from what has Paul been talking about? <laughs> Christ's own love, that divine sacrificial love. The Trinitarian life of God is the source, right? The Trinitarian life of God is the wellspring. This is what we draw from. We go to the well of the Trinity, and when we leave that well, we bring that refreshment to those around us. And one of the effects of the gift of prophecy does this very thing. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.